You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahraven.com. Welcome to Grow, Cook, Eat, Arrange, the podcast of me, Sarah Raven, and Arthur Parkinson. And this is really going to be the Arthur Show because we're going to talk today about container dahlias. So dahlias that are really suitable for planting kind of like now. So we're already getting into early summer, but you can whack them into your pots if you've got a tiny garden and they will give you flowers and colour and joy right the way through until really you know November time kind of autumn it's something that Arthur is a great expert and enthusiast for so Arthur why do you think dahlias are so good for pots they just give glamour like nothing else does and the nice thing is when this episode comes out you've sort of almost missed the boat really of planting tubers from scratch haven't you yes yeah, so late. the varieties we're speaking about are ones that you can get as as grown plants from mail order and that allows you to still have a garden full of gorgeous dahlias because they do actually travel quite well before they get the flowers on and most years i do get them i tend to sow a mix plant a mix sorry of tuber and get live plants in because i just don't have much growing space and the nice thing about the dahlias is the main thing I find, as long as they're fed well, they are happy in containers. Mm. Because the thing about a tuber is it's basically a big storage organ. And that's what counts. They yeah. don't necessarily have masses of roots. Those tubers just need lots of room to anchor down into the pot with. So the bigger the pot they get, the better they'll perform. All of the decoratives, the big cafeolets and the heavy heads, they do need big pots. Like you've got those huge terracottas in your mm. Dutch yard. Mm. But I tend to grow less of those now. I'd grow a lot if I had a flower bed. But the ones I love for pots are the singles. Mm. They're more folliferous. They flower earlier. They'll fill your garden with bees and butterflies right the way into deep October if there's not a hard frost. And they just give more and more flower. The more you cut them, the more you get. So when I did Chelsea Flower Show last year, I was cutting the singles early morning at Perch Hill, taking them on the train, then taking them either on the tube or in a taxi Chelsea Flower Show, mm. arranging them. And because I'd picked them really early in the morning, it meant their stamens and anthers hadn't frilled out and the bees hadn't visited them at Perch Hill. But by the time I got to the capital, they were all bursting with nectar and pollen. Mm. And so the whole of this show garden we did was full of bees because I just covered the table in jewel vases full of them. So it's sort of a myth that these single varieties and anemone varieties have a bad vase life. You just have to pick them early in the morning. Mm. And I promise you they'll last at least two days. But one variety that lasted really well in the vase and looked like an amazing magenta starfish, was Lou Farman. Oh, I and, love um, Lou Farman, yeah. Yeah, she's a really lovely variety that you've chosen in Holland and named after Lou, your business partner. And she's very, very airy, almost like a cosmos. Mm. In fact, I'd love to see her planted amongst cosmos in, in a bed because she's just, she's got the tallest stem above the foliage and she just dances there like a, you know, like one of those um, fake butterflies almost that yes. you sometimes see on a bit of string. So I love her and she is very good in a pot, as is Molly Raven, yeah. uh, named after your daughter Molly. And both of them have got really lovely dark foliage, which I think is, is good for a pot. You don't want a cabbage yeah. dahlia for a pot. No, you don't want coarse foliage, no. do you, in a container? Um, so either lacy, elder-like foliage or at least dark foliage. So just so the pot's got some 
good density because to be honest I've experimented a lot with combining things with dahlias I think they do like to dominate the pot yeah and their consorts we've found this either the half hard annual climbers aren't they yeah or the grasses and if you put other things that are hungry with them I've tried for you know when I first started I used to think oh I'm going to do a sunflower claret with this dahlia they don't like it they fight against the space of the pot so choose the dahlias as like the the main show of that pot and a few consorts are good that are less hungry. So from Burgias yeah. are brilliant because they'll actually climb through the dahlia. Rhodochitin. Yeah, wonderful the purple bovine. Yeah. And all the annual grasses are great too because yeah. basically they'll happily root into nothing. Yeah. So they're not going to compete with your dahlia for the energy of the compost. So panicum, sparkling fountain yeah, or frosted exactly. explosion. All the millets are great yeah. too. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. The more I grow in containers, which we do increase the number every year, the more I think dahlias are the winners. And certainly in the Dutch yard at Perch, uh, which is terracotta, and we've got big, chunky terracotta pots, because I think you're absolutely right. That's a bit key for the taller varieties, is that you've got to have something quite so anchoring Mm. and quite substantial. And also because dahlias are quite hungry and thirsty, and I know we're going to come on to watering and feeding, but so... For things like Molly Raven and Lou Farman, I mean, you know, Lou Farman's airy, but she's also quite tall. And so you do need a decent sized pot. Whereas for something like Josie, which is another one that we bred actually with some breeders in Holland and named after our head gardener, Josie Lewis, she is a bit more compact. And it's funny that Arthur and I always refer to dahlias as ladies. I mean, maybe because all these ones are named after females. But um, I do think of dahlias as ladies somehow. Anyway, Josie is is more compact. I think like 60 centimetres, something like that. So she would be fine for a sort of table centre pot. And we use quite a lot of these ribbed zinc terracotta pots. I mean, zinc pots, sorry. And Josie looks really splendid like that. She'll need a bit of staking. We use silver birch in a kind of nest or hazel in a nest. And then she grows up through that and it supports her and becomes invisible. And um, they're beautiful. It's a really bright orange, but it's the anemone flower varieties, which the bees and pollinators, uh, butterflies, absolutely love. So I think she's got a lot going for her, Josie. And I love it. And actually, another one we've bred, which is brand new to our range this year, so first season, is called Abigail. And that's a nice story because Abigail has been our chief horticultural buyer now for 10 years And when she came to us, I I really don't think she'd ever grown a dahlia. She wasn't particularly a gardener at that point, but she'd trained as a buyer. And over the years, she's become a passionate gardener and has the most wonderful garden. And Abigail is named after her because we just wanted to celebrate that she has fallen in love with the dahlia so much. And she's been with us for such a long time. And she's an absolute key pillar of our team. And she chose similar to Blue Bayou, but just a little richer, deeper purple. And she, in our trial, her and Lou Farman were most visited by bees and butterflies. And so it's a celebration of Abigail, but also a celebration of the pollinators. And that's a beautiful, quite compact variety, I think about 70 centimetres. So ideal for a, for a pot and really, really splendid sort of purpley mauve colour. Absolutely love her. Mm, yeah really lovely story and what a lovely pairing you could have all of those mentioned just in different pots and they're just ping pong 
colour, particularly yeah. Josie, because that's going to give you that lovely Jaffa orange. Yeah. And um, Blue Bayou would be the tallest, Abigail a little bit shorter. Yeah. And then dancing through them all would be Lou Farman. Yeah. Yeah, as soon as I saw Abigail online, I quickly ordered a tuba because I remember her from, from last year. A uh, beautiful one. And sticking with the, the pollinator, nectar-rich dahlias, Bishop of Auckland mm. remains my favourite one mm. for the Love foliage, it. really. Beautiful lacy foliage and then that claret, lovely flower with the rich anthers all drenched in pollen. The bumblebees, just made for a bumblebee, that one. Mm. A little bit tall, so like Josie, as you mentioned, that's the best way of staking. And at this time of year, you will be having to go on a walk and after a, a summer storm, look for any branches along a path and make a nest out of that sort of thing. It's too late now to be harvesting birch, but you might get lucky. I have noticed a few of the garden centres are tagging on to this new, more stylish method of staking. So you will find sometimes bundles of hazel, particularly for sailing garden centres, or willow stakes that have been kiln dried. They look much nicer than bamboo canes. They're much nicer brown. And so you can slot those next to your dahlias when you've planted them. But don't shove these canes really close to the plant. You'll often go for a tuber then. And you might wake up the following morning and find the plant completely looking half dead. Because if you slice through the tuber, you you do risk killing the plant. So put the cane, you know, quite uh, towards the edge of the pot. And then with a figure of eight, a little bit of soft trine, tie the dahlia softly in, but give it enough room to just, so it's not being pushed against the, the stout cane, so it still looks nice and relaxed. Or you can get a nice full plant support if you've got one of those lying around. But even in pots, protection against the wind is important. The littlest one I think we do is happy single kiss, isn't it? Probably. Yeah. And I love that. Such a soft, muted colour. And Roxy's good too. Yeah, that's very bright. For for window boxes. Yeah. Um, Yeah. yeah. They are both good. Well, I I agree. I think all those absolutely lovely, completely good, compact sized for pots. Uh, Sarah Raven is is another cracker, of course, but Mm. maybe a tad tall and a tad leggy. She's really lovely uh, in a border because she's quite tall and skinny. Um, yes, well, we won't refer to that. But um, uh, she's a ja- lovely Jaffa cake, isn't she? Yeah, as a flower. But yeah, you're right. She is tall, and yeah. as, and again, she has got that. Her foliage is fine, but yeah, yeah. She, um, she's she's yeah. quite sort of bony in a way. Mm. Anyway, one thing I think before we stop talking about dahlias, which of course you can get as tubers it's a little late now but these are all varieties that we're talking about that are potted and available from us and you will find them in garden centers at this time of year all through the country if you prefer to do garden center shopping but as you're a great expert Arthur I think I should hand over to you talking about maintenance really so you know deadheading watering and feeding yeah I think feeding is a key thing with with liquid seaweed weekly as yep. you know want, don't drench them too much once they're freshly potted because remember the tuber is like a potato and you don't want it to become mashed potato so light yep. watering at first and then as soon as you notice suddenly it's you know really engulfing the pot that's when you start to to feed and water weekly and Josie at Perch Hill's technique of watering three times so you fill your watering can water a quarter let that soak into the pot then another quarter let it soak in and then the last quarter let it soak in and if it's really baking hot, you know, if it's forecast really hot, after that watering, you then do a little feed of liquid because mm. once the pot is properly watered, it will then hold on to that liquid feed much better than if you liquid feed first before watering. If you liquid feed first, 
the soil with it being dry, the water with the feeding will just run off. So that's that's probably my best tip. Yeah. Deadheading is important if you're not picking and always go down to a pair of leaves, never leave a stalk because yes. by going down to the pair of leaves and cutting at that pair of leaves, you're, ex- you're encouraging auxiliary bud formation. That will result in more buds and flowers being produced. Yeah. And the way to tell with the single dahlias, particularly because it is hard if you're new to daily growing, to know whether a bud has opened or finished. Yes, um, that's a really good tip. What happens is the the new buds, imagine them always looking like a shiny little button on a, on a shirt. And if mm. you touch them, they won't be soggy. And also they're never pointed. So the finished flowers are always pointed like a, a big, nasty boiler chicken's beak. And the back, mm. the back petals behind the flower bud will be pointing out. Mm. So soggy and looking like a, a nasty bit of chipboard beaky bird. That's a, that's a dead flower head. So that's mm. how I how I tell mm. from dead flowers. So I reckon there are two other things I'd like to add just before we finish, mm. which is the first is about earwigs. And Dave Goulson, who's actually been on the podcast last year, came to teach at Perch Hill a couple of years ago. And I'd always not been a massive fan of earwigs because I think of them, they remind me of scorpions. And I was stung by a scorpion when I was a child in Italy. And it it was really unpleasant. It was really, really hurt. And so I'm rather fearful of them. But anyway, what he taught us all was that earwigs eat aphids like nothing else. They munch their way through aphids and they love them for breakfast, lunch, tea and dinner. And so, whereas in the old days, I used to have little flower pots next to a dahlia, particularly if I had a clutch of pots or in a dahlia border, and I would stuff the pot full of straw on a bamboo cane, supporting the upside down pot on a bamboo cane. And what happens is that if you get an earwig infestation, the earwig thinks the upside down pot with the straw is a dahlia. So they run up the cane and they nest in the straw. And then once a week or so, I would take out the straw and I would burn it on the fire and that would kill the earwigs. And that's a way of getting on top of an earwig infestation. Anyway, do not do that. Do exactly the opposite, which is think of earwigs as your friends. And instead of burning them, take them to somewhere that you might have an aphid infestation, perhaps in your greenhouse on your tomatoes, or uh, if you've got late flowering lupins, perhaps on your lupins or on your roses, whatever, and just scatter the straw below and the earwigs will then march up the stem of the rose and eat all the aphids. And if you haven't got any aphid problem, then just put them on your compost heap, but really try and build up your earwig population, not kill it. And the more I garden, the more I know that working with nature and particularly with certain, what used to be called pests, they're not pests actually, they're not a pestilence, they're your mates, and they will really help you garden organically. And then the final thing is to make a really lovely summer salad, just because I really want to try and give more recipes in the podcast. I just want to talk you through how I would make a salad finishing with dahlias. So the first thing I'd do is I'd pick some lettuce and that would give me crunch. So any variety like render glass or whatever, any of the summer varieties. The second thing I would do is pick some punchy flavoured leaves. So perhaps some watercress, perhaps one of the mustards, perhaps wild rocket. And that gives you really, really punchy flavour. 
The third thing I would do is pick some really nice sharp flavoured herbs. So perhaps some tarragon, perhaps some chives and chop it up, perhaps even some lovage or some mint. Then I would slice some nice more crunch like from bulb fennel or perhaps some radish, which of course only take four to five weeks from seed to cropping at this time of year. And then finally, back to the dahlias, I would scatter a whole lot of mixed coloured dahlia petals over the top. And I would then just dress it really simply with a drizzle of olive oil, lemon juice and salt. And I will put that stage by stage, how you build up a salad recipe in the podcast notes. So anything else on containerized dahlias for instant gardens, Arthur? Well, you can also use the petals as confetti as you did for a wedding a few years ago. Yes, as a summer so wedding. Great. It was an amazing photograph of the bride and groom being thrown over with this beautiful like a firework of dahlia petals in yeah. orange and red and yeah beautiful and of course much better than paper confetti mm. because they really quickly biodegrade yeah so yeah that's a really nice note to end mm. on and of course don't forget the dahlias you buy now if you store them correctly they are perennial so yeah. don't need to throw them away at the end of the season stop watering them you know towards the end of october then lift them out your pots and store them somewhere airy and cool but not too warm but the key thing is that it's a dry place so not the damp garden shed spare room's fantastic a garage if it's you know ideally frost not free. damp and frost free mm. and they'll be fine to mm. be planted out next spring and that might confuse some people because i've banged on with you quite a bit about not having to lift your dahlias yeah. but of course because they're in a pot the ones we've talked about today they will get frost in their top at their sides and even at the base. So you do need to lift them out of your pot. Whereas in Mother Earth, if you mulch them, they will last fine in the garden. But in a pot, you do need to take them out and protect them frost-free. Thanks so much for listening. And next week, I'm not going to be here, actually, because I'm handing over to Arthur to talk about one of his great passions, which is water gardens. Not grand, great sort of Chatsworth cascades but more domestic scale water gardens and he's going to be talking to linda smith who is a real heroine of his from waterside nurseries who's a real expert on everything to do with water gardens from water lilies to marginal plants and also what they do for our pollinators dragonflies etc so next week it's all about water gardens large or small You can find more information, photos and advice sheets on all the plants and recipes that we talk about in this podcast by heading to the links in the show notes or on our website at sarahaven.com.